Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Racing with Rob and Roller podcast. My name is Rob Peters, and joining me, as always, is Josh Roller. We are excited to bring you the news and discussion of this week's racing, because there was a lot of racing to talk about this week. Uh, lots of NASCAR, plenty of Formula One news to get through, uh, all that stuff, all that good stuff. I mean, we had a fun fun week of the racing. It was there is some good stuff to, to talk about, and we've got even more fun stuff to talk about uh, for next week as well, because next week is Talladega week, Harvest Grand Prix week. You know, we've got a lot of uh, great stuff happening. So yep. uh, without further ado, I think we should jump into the news here. Uh, but yeah. we should also plug our Twitters, because that's something Thanks. we always do at the beginning of each Very and true. every show. Thank you again for tuning in. If this is your first time listening, thank you for uh, finally listening to us when we begged you to listen to our show on Twitter. We are very thankful for that. And we will remind you that, uh, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter. I am at Rob Peters or excuse me, at R Peters 33, um, R P E E T E R S three, three. And then Josh is at roller underscore zero one R O L L E R underscore zero one. And you could find our show where we will tweet out information and interact with you guys, you know, uh, at, at, you know, not so much on a personal level as you could with our personal Twitters, but, you know, more on a show level, like a fan. Uh, that is at Robin Roller, spelled just as it sounds, R-O-B-A-N-D-R-O-L-L-E-R. Josh, let's jump into Rob's Racing Report and talk about some of the news. We'll go into Formula One first, uh, because this is some interesting and important news to talk about. Current F1 CEO Chase Carey will be replaced by Stefano Domenicali, a former Ferrari team boss. He will resume duties in January and will depart his current role of, as chairman and CEO of Lamborghini. Chase Carey, who took over the role of CEO in 2017 after Liberty Media's takeover, will move into a non-executive chairman position. So some shakeups up at the top of Formula One. Uh, interesting to see Domenicali get the call, but uh, you know he had a, a fairly relatively successful time in uh, as as the uh, Ferrari team boss. Not maybe not as successful you know obviously is the jean taught era uh but you know i would still say consider that to be some kind of success they won some races here and there i guess uh racers chris medlin spoke with haas f1 team's roman grosjean about his future Groman sh- grosjean shared that if he is dropped by haas formula e and the wec are two options he is interested in grosjean has also shared that indycar is not an option for him stating america is indycar beautiful championship but i'm not really tempted by ovals and they even scare me so i don't want to do ovals uh he did share that his preference is to stay in formula one interesting to see that uh, roman grosjean just openly admits that ovals scare him that's not something that you usually hear from an auto racing driver a motor driver period drivers typically don't say that certain races or tracks or stuff, you know, is scary. You know, I guess people could say things about uh, road races as being scary. I would be terrified to race in the Nordschleife, you know, and they did that this weekend for 24 hours, and they had to red flag the race because people couldn't see half away. Half away. The visibility was so bad. It was uh, raining so hard, you know, so I, I don't know. I'm just saying, you know, maybe I'd prefer to be in an oval. This is just me. I'm not. I'm not criticizing Grosjean. This is just me, my personal opinion. But I'd prefer to be in an oval where at least you know, if I crash, people are gonna come to my rescue, rather than you know race somewhere in the Nordschleife where if I crash, maybe nobody's gonna know about it for like five minutes. You know what I mean? I don't know. That's just me. That's just me. I under you know drivers are different. People are different. I've never been behind the seat of a race car, so I can't 
speak specifically to how a driver would feel. But to me, I don't know. There's more scary things you could do than than run an oval. But Haas F1 team uh, principal Gunter Steiner commented commented the past week as well that signing Sergio Perez is a no-brainer. One for his talent and two for his significant backing. See, I've said that for all the time. I've, I've said that this whole time. Yeah. Perez has multiple podiums with a midfield team, and he also brings in a whole ton of money. This guy is good. Why would you not sign him? I don't understand. They're, I mean, this guy is like perfect. And and you see what he did this, this, this week. I mean, we'll talk about it in a little bit. The Lance Stroll uh, situation where did he get punted by Charles Leclerc? Yeah, kind of. I think he did. But uh, hey, Perez almost had himself a podium there. He could have, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if, if Hamilton didn't take his penalty when he did. Uh, I totally think that Perez could have had a podium there. But hey, who knows? Um, anyway, uh, that is that's that. But who knows? We'll see what Haas does. And the reason why we're talking about Haas and the reason why I wanted to use that into shifting into this because we had some breaking news uh, on Tuesday morning in which uh, current Formula 2 points leaders Mick Schumacher, Callum Eilat, and Robert Schwartzman uh, are set to make their free practice de- debuts in the coming uh, races. Schumacher has been announced that he will drive for Alfa Romeo in free practice one in Germany, while Callum Eilat will drive for Haas in Germany. Uh, Robert Schwartzman will make his debut uh, at Abu Dhabi later is, is this year. Uh, the team he will drive for is still TBA. But this is important. This is key because... Uh, Schumacher and Eilat are 1-2 in Formula 2 championship standings right now. Schwartzman was in third, but he has since lost ground to Christian Lundgaard and Yuki Sonoda. Sonoda still being tapped as potentially going to Alpha Towery next year. Interesting. But as I say that, uh, Schwartzman is now fifth in the championship. He's just been having not the best stretch of races, whereas Schumacher has just been having a an incredible stretch of races, winning races, finishing the podium, you know, stuff like that. but, uh, you know, this is important and key because I told Josh this earlier in the show, earlier before we went live, uh, and this is not necessarily factual-based news, but this is the rumors that I've been hearing, is that all signs so far right now are pointing to uh, Alfa Romeo's lineup next season being Kimi Raikkonen and Mick Schumacher. That is what it is looking like. It, it, it could change. Um, there's been no formal announcement of that yet. Uh, but all signs currently right now are pointing to Alfa Romeo wants to keep Kimi Raikkonen, and they want to bring in Mick Schumacher. Uh, Ferrari wants Mick Schumacher, definitely. Ferrari wants Mick Schumacher right. in Formula 1. And I think Schumacher has has proven himself this season in F2 that he is worthy and ready for Formula 1. Uh, he has done, you know, outstanding in, in Formula 2 this season, and he's leading the championship with two rounds to go. That's four races, so anything could change. Keep that in mind. Um, but you know, like, I mean, we saw that in F3, four races is a lot of time, four races out of the championship. Logan Sargent is leading by the last race. He ends up third in the championship. You know, anything can happen and probably will. Uh, but I, I think that, uh, you know, this year is the best opportunity for Schumacher and you have to give a pr- uh, a shout out to Callum Eilat as well, who has been having an excellent and career season, I think in formula two as well. Um, has he been outshone by Mick Schumacher? Yes, but I think Eilat has done has had more performances that have been uh, more impressive to me. Um, so these are all important when we talk about F1 silly season. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, these are F1 silly season rumors that are going around, and anything can happen. So I don't want to spend too much time on uh, talking about F1 silly season right now. So I will move on to IndyCar because we have a lot of in, insane IndyCar news that happened. I didn't expect any of this. 
Uh, a couple of big pieces of IndyCar driver news broke this week. First, Oliver Askew will miss both Harvest Grand Prix races at Indianapolis Motor Speedway after IndyCar medical staff did not clear him to race. Askew has been struggling with balance and co- coordination issues since mid-Ohio. Elio Castroneves has been tapped to sub for Askew for in the Aero McLaren SB Chevrolet. So this is interesting because that's the first time Elio has driven uh, not a Penske car since, uh, what, 1999? Yeah. So it's it, the last time Elio Castroneves was not in a Penske car, we were in a completely different millennium. Oh, yeah. Long yeah. time ago. I just, you know, I, I know that's being a bit flippant. It's about 20 years, so it's not that bad, but it was a whole other millennium ago. Yeah. Technically, yeah. that yeah. Elio Castroneves was like not in a Penske car. Also, I want to add the last time Elio Castroneves was not in a Penske car, uh, Bill Clinton was still the president and CART still existed. So, yeah, <laughs> it's been a it's been while. It's been a while. It's been a while. Um, we also learned that Zach Veach was relieved of driving duties from his Andretti Autosport Honda and will not finish the season nor return to Andretti in 2021. Uh, James Hinchcliffe has since been tapped to replace Veach in the remaining three races of the IndyCar season at the Indianapolis Road Course and St. Petersburg. Hinchcliffe, who lost his ride late into IndyCar's silly season in 2019, has been the favorite to return to full-time competition in 2021 and is likely Andretti's top choice to take over the 2016 next season. I think this was something that a lot of people saw coming but did not necessarily see it coming this quickly. I did not expect Veach to step out of the ride this soon. I expected him at the very least to finish out the season. Um, so this isn't, it, 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 this is surprising news. It's a bit disappointing. I think a lot of people like to watch Zach Veach's rise and it was very unlikely. There was a lot of situations where, you know, people never expected, uh, Veach to get to this point where he is. Um, you know, it's unfortunate that maybe he hasn't had the results that I think he would have liked and, and the results that I think he, he should have maybe had, but yeah. you know, it, Racing is a different beast, and when you get into that top echelon, you know, there's a lot more pressure put on you. There's a lot of competition that you have to deal with. You know, things can change. So, uh, but hey, it's a great opportunity for uh, a fan favorite in James Hinchcliffe to make his uh, return to full-time racing. I think a lot of people have been missing that. Uh, So, I mean, we'll just have to wait and see, see what Hinch does this weekend at uh, Indianapolis and see what the future holds. Now let's move into NASCAR here. It is quite possible. That by the time you listen to this podcast, now, because keep in mind, we're recording this on Tuesday, and we're hearing that Wednesday, so tomorrow, uh, the 30th, is about probably when they're going to announce the next NASCAR schedule. So, we're looking at potentially hearing this, but this is, here's some of the rumors that we're hearing so far. The rumor time is Wednesday, uh, December, September 30th, during the afternoon. One of the changes that is expected is that Homestead Miami's race Weekend will move to them instead. Uh, uh, popular uh, for the rest of the year because they have a beautiful facility down there in Homestead. I've never personally been to it, but it's one on my bucket list. Not just for better infield road courses. I mean, I'm not putting it on Charlotte Roval level because the Roval has elevation changes that no other Roval will ever have. But I digress. I still think that the layout and design of the Homestead Miami Speedway road course is still one of the better ones because, you know, it it quite literally encompasses that of a Roval where you run through turns three and four of the big banked oval, but you're running 
the majority of the race on the infield too. Mm-hmm. So it, it really, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's an interesting lap there. So um, another thing, few other things I've heard now, we didn't, these aren't in the show notes, but I want to talk about some of the things that I've heard real quick is I have right now that NASCAR is seriously talking about circuit of the Americas coming to the cup series next season. Yeah, we this talked would about be that last week. Yeah. Insane. insane. This would yeah. be insane. We did talk about it last week, but this is something that it could also happen. Uh, and I'm also hearing uh, Road America as a possibility. I think the, my prediction is that a Michigan race will go to Road America. I think a Kansas race, if NASCAR is interested in keeping Iowa, will go to Iowa. And yeah, C- Coda, it will be added from Texas. And and then also I'm hearing that the All-Star race could move to Texas as well. Is that, I saw someone's mock schedule where they had the All-Star race in between Daytona and the start of the playoffs, which I think is a would be a kind of a brilliant move. I like it. It breaks up the season, kind of gives a, I don't know. I, I like that move. I like it for whatever reason it feels to me. I'd have to think about that one. I don't know. Maybe that idea will grow on me a little bit more, but eh, I'm not so sure. I'm so used to the race being in May, and I like it being in May yeah. because May feels like, you know, you're in Indianapolis and Charlotte during May. You know, yeah. that's what I mean, you, I agree. You, if you're in, in the East Coast or the Midwest, you know, you stick in Indianapolis, you stick it in Charlotte either way, depending on what you like, depending on what you want to see. That's my opinion. I like to see, essentially, they then spend the month of May in Charlotte. But, hey, I mean, if they want to change that up, that's on them. If they think that'll be more popular, that's all good and fine with me. We'll see. If they want to move the All-Star Race around to different venues every other year, like they've been talking about doing for a couple of years, that's well, fine with me. We'll I, I I really think – I don't think Speedway Motorsports is going to lose it. I think if I'm Speedway Motorsports, I'm saying, you want me to give up the All-Star Race? Give me two points paying races right, at, at yeah. competition. You know, they're not going to give that up for free. But this also opens up, hey, if National Fairgrounds ever comes comes around, that's going that would be a good spot to have the All-Star Race, too. That would be a perfect spot, though. So, but we do know that Nashville Super Speedway is going go to this, go to the Cup Series yep. next year. So it's just going to be interesting. I don't know what the schedule is going to hold. This is probably the most interesting NASCAR schedule release, uh, probably. I know last year was interesting because – but it, it really didn't come to fruition because of COVID. Yeah. But uh, this year, this year could be one of the biggest. Uh, this is going to be the biggest shakeup in a long time. Shakeup in a long time. Yeah, definitely. Um, so moving on to the next piece of NASCAR news here. Hendrick Motorsports self-reported to NASCAR that they had gone over the maximum allotted wind tunnel testing time. So NASCAR fined Hendrick Motorsports $100,000 and has taken away 10 hours of wind, tes- wind tunnel testing t- time for next season from 80 to 70. Reportedly, the extra time added up to only minutes. Interesting that they would self-report that. I had to. It's 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 a it's a respectful move. Hey NASCAR, we're going to own this. We're not. It looks bad if you get caught and you look at the numbers. Like, hold on a second. What's going on here? You self-reported it. I don't know. I would hope anyone would do that. It's just a respectful move, you know. It is a respectful to move to the to your competitors, not right. not necessarily NASCAR, but to your competitors. But I think in racing, it's all about trying to get ahead, a leg up. And I feel like if you have an opportunity to get a leg up, you know, sometimes you bend the morality of things here and there. I mean, people have been doing it for years. I mean, crew chiefs have been doing it for years. You well, know, yeah. I don't. Well, well I think don't. about this. Let's say NASCAR catches them. And That's Alex true. Bowman and, and, and Chase are in the round of eight. 
Okay, that's good. You got and a good they point. Say, okay, well, we're going to get some points here. You know, I, I think they this could have been a points penalty, but NASCAR said, hey, we'll get $500,000 and you're going to lose wind tunnel time. And I'm sure everyone at HMS was like, that's fine. That's fine because we didn't lose driver points. I guess you got a point there. That's better. I didn't think about it that way. That's probably right. Uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway will be able to have fans in attendance for Sunday, Saturday's Xfinity Series and IMSA Cooper, uh, excuse me, IMSA races, and then uh, the Cup Series race on the Roval on October 10th and 11th. Uh, this will be, I'm always excited for the Roval. I love yeah. the Roval. Did I mention that? Uh, North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper announced that outdoor sports venues with more than 10,000 seats can host fans at a 7% capacity. Race weekend fan protocols will include mandatory temperature checks at entry gates, contactless ticketing, socially distanced grandstand seating, and cashless souvenir and concession purchases. So make sure to set up Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, Android Pay, whatever. Make sure that you are uh, good to go on that cashless, or at least bring a credit card or a debit card or something. Yeah. But personally, I think that paying with your phone, dude, Paying with your phone, that is the best way to go cashless because you don't touch nobody touches anything. You don't have to hand your card to anybody to touch it. I mean, it is 110% you. There is no contact. Dude, if you have a phone that can do that, I recommend just go ahead and setting that bad boy up. Because I ever since since COVID, I have paid more with my phone with Apple Pay probably than I ever have before in my life. And I've my done that just just so that I can avoid, you know. Paying with cash or having someone else handle my card. You know what I mean? My mom is laughing right now because she knows my opinion on that. I will never put my, I will never pay with my phone. I don't trust it. I don't want my, really? Okay. I won't do it. I won't put, I won't put my, I mean, I get it. It's a great idea, but I'm like, it's just another way for someone to, if they steal it, steal it from my wallet or steal it walking by me, you know? Don't. Well, I mean, I guess I suppose it. My my phone, my phone is a little bit more secure since you can't get into it unless you have my thumbprint. We'll so, see. Yeah, even that. But that still, I'm just like, you know what? One last thing. Digitally, they can't get me on a website okay. deal. I guess you. I guess you're right. I, get, I mean, I respect it. Yeah. But yeah, for me, I guess I'm just, I'm living in the 1990s still. There's nothing wrong with inherently living in the 1990s. I still play Sega Genesis. So trust me, it's okay. <laughs> uh, Adam Stern reports per sources that several industry leaders uh, insiders, excuse me, were in Philadelphia recently, including Steve Phelps, Kyle Larson, and Team Chevy executive Jim Campbell, meeting with the Urban Youth Racing School. Last week, Stern tweeted, uh, a quote, Kyle Larson wants to get back to NASCAR as soon as he can, per Anthony Martin, founder of the Urban Youth Racing School, which has worked with Larson for years and helped him with his comeback efforts in recent months. So this could be interesting here because we're talking about uh, you know, what silly season is going to go. As I mentioned, as I mentioned, this crop of silly, of, 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 uh, free agents in this silly season is probably the best crop of, I mean, I'm not, we're not just talking about, uh, Eric Jones. We're talking about, uh, Ty Dillon as well. We're talking about Daniel Suarez. I mean, Bob, Bob Wallace is off the market now, so we don't have Mm -hmm. to talk about him. Ross Chastain is now off the market, so we don't have to talk about him, but we still have Corey LaJoy that is out there without a ride. Um, who knows the future on Matt DiBenedetto? We don't know the future. We're going to find out this week. We're going to find out this week. Tomorrow's a deadline. Or Thursday's a deadline, I think they actually said. And then also, like we said, we have Kyle Larson who wants to get back into NASCAR. What, what, what do you do if you're a team owner? You know, you have all of these talented drivers to pick from. And I think the, the seats are, are slim pickings here and there. So it's going to be interesting 
to see what, where what happens, especially with Larson trying to throw his hat back into the ring, because then you know that just makes us the the free agent pool even more crowded than it already is. Um, you know, I don't know where everybody's going to wind up next year. We still don't know who's going to take over the forty eight. We still have no yeah, idea if the forty eight is even going to exist next season. Yeah, it's 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 going to be interesting. I'll say we got we got something related to that coming up on the show. So. I'll hold my tongue on some of that stuff. And, uh, you go ahead and hold your tongue, but you know that is—it's going to be. This is a great free. I mean, this is a, the greatest free agency we've ever had. But this is a very talented one because then you even have some Xfinity drivers who you're like, "Are they coming up? Is that going to be a seat that's, that's taken?" True. You know, Chase Briscoe, Chase Briscoe, Chase, Chase Briscoe, Justin Haley, Brandon Jones are three are, are kind of the three guys who are linked to potential Cup rides. And you just listed off five, six names that, well, who? So three of them wouldn't have a job for sure. Yeah, in that situation. And and is there anyone else who's not going to come back? You know, you know, in the Cup Series, a ride that hasn't been announced to to be lost yet, or someone retiring. So you know, we still got a little bit of season to play out here, and some of these deals aren't being done until you know January. So we'll see. It's important to note because, too, Chase Briscoe said he needed at least eight wins to get in the cup. Well, now he's got eight wins in these series. Yep. So who's going to hold up their end of the bargain here? What if he gets nine? What if he gets ten? You he know, I'm not, He'll have I'm ten. Not if, you get, if, if he wins ten races in the Xfinity Series, I'm sorry, but if Christopher Bell and Cole Custer could do that and be ready for Cup, I think it's time for Briscoe to be in the same category because he won race even when they where they were in the Xfinity Series. I agree. I agree. So, I mean, I'm I'm going with that. So, Josh, let's talk about our featured pain scheme now because we finished the news. That's all the news that we have today. I'm sure there's going to be more news that's going to break after the podcast gets posted, yeah. like it always does. But, always. You know, hey. What are you going to do? We got we live in a 24-hour news cycle and uh, it's no different in sports than it is in, you know, regular general assignment reporting. Uh so let's 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 uh, take a look here and uh talk about the featured paint scheme coming from the 2014 IndyCar series. Yeah, so mine this week I'm going with Jacques Villeneuve's number $5 General Honda for Schmidt Peterson Motorsports. Uh this was a one-off race for SPM uh, remember, SPM did did have full uh, two full time entries in 2014 with Mikhail Lotion in the seven, and then Simon Pagano in the 77. Um, it was Villeneuve's uh, return to the Indianapolis 500 uh, since he last raced there in 1995. A race he started fifth and one for Team Green. By the way, uh, the ride was announced and coming in- back from two laps down too. Let's not forget Ooh, that's that. A good that's a good. Technically, note. he completed the Indianapolis 505. That's pretty good. I forgot yeah. about that. That's good. That's good. Um, let's see. Where was I at here? Oh, yeah. The ride was announced in February, and Villeneuve wasn't even at the press conference announcing the ride because he was testing a rallycross car in the UK. Uh, Villeneuve was selected as it was believed he could bring a big sponsor as the 2014 Indianapolis 500 was struggling to find a full field of 33 entries, and there would only be 33 entries that show up that May, too. So kind of a, you know, uh, a good move by everyone's part there. He would qualify 27th, but would finish 14th uh, in what was his first open wheel start since 2006. The car was really nothing special. Uh, it's kind of disappointing, though, when you really when you really look at it, um, particularly when you compare it to NASCAR Dollar General cars. Like, this is a letdown. 
I'm still featuring it because it's a Dollar General sponsored car in IndyCar. Um, but uh, it was just all bright yellow. And then you had some black accents on the front wing and the rear wings. And that was basically it. The, the, the number five was white with black outlines. That is the car. So just picture a Dollar General bright yellow car with a white five. And that's essentially what he drove to a 14th place finish in a one-off entry in the 2014 Indianapolis 500. Rob, you're up. So the 2014 Indianapolis 500, uh, sticking with that kind of vibe, because it was... Not only was this probably one of the best races... My voice cracked there, I'm sorry. Not only was this probably one of the best races in probably the decade. I mean, really, really and truthfully, 2010 to 2020, 2019 was probably the best decade of the Indianapolis 500, I think, in my opinion, in terms of racing quality. Um... And so I want to stick to stick with this because uh, 2014, like we said, you know, it didn't have a whole ton of entries. We only had 33 entries, and as a result, a lot of that can uh, create some interesting one-off liveries, uh, one-off rides, one-off pe- people just showing up with what they have. Well, I covered um, for a long time the uh, Buddy Lazier. Buddy Lazier. I covered a uh, Lazier Partner Racing, and kind of what their idea was to do, which was to get. Uh, Buddy Lazier back into the race, and and they really wanted to to just be at a, a family affair, you know. Uh, Flynn wasn't quite is was not quite ready. Uh, I don't think Jacques Lazier would have run the race. I know Buddy was was going to. I don't think Jacques was going to. Bob was involved with it before he unfortunately passed away uh, this year due to COVID. Um, yeah, that's still something that's still sad to me. I can't believe Bob Lazier passed away from COVID this year. I mean, it's just how scary this whole virus still is. Is that you know, it's taken um, a, a, a patriarch of a racing family that really, quite honestly, is the pinnacle of what you do with racing. You start a business, and then you take all that money that you earned running that business, and you go racing with it. I mean, that's what the Laziers did. They built Vail, Colorado up, built a ski resort on this land that was nothing, uh, just a bunch of... Uh, mountains in, in Vail and then came right out and decided we're gonna go racing with the money we have and then buddy always told me too he said you know when I was first starting out nobody wanted to hire me because I was too young and I didn't have enough experience and now when I want to race nobody wants to hire me because I'm too old and have too much experience and whatever <laughs> uh, but anyway so buddy Lazier came back in 2014 with his with his family team Lazier partner racing uh, and he sponsored he, he sported sponsorship from the Stephen A. Wynn Institute for Vision Research at the University of Iowa. And, and the car's library was always interesting to me. I always liked this. It was a much better library than what he ran the previous year, uh, which was, you know, just very, very basic. Uh, the car's library featured a shifting hue of blue, being darker in the front and the rear of the car, but it gradually got lighter as as it came together at the in the middle of the car. It was very, very uh, unique very appealing um, paint scheme. It also had uh, varying levels of yellow and purple thrown in there as well, which was in some way uh, nice as well. Uh, Lazier, uh, you know, obviously did not have that great of a race. Uh, He didn't start or finish all that well. I forgot to look up where he even finished, but I do know that the sponsorship um, came around because Buddy's uh, daughter, uh, Jacqueline actually suffers from a disease, an eye disease that is uh, known uh, only that is known as I can't I don't really know how to say it. I'm going to butcher this name here, but it's it's aniridia. I think is the 
the medical name for it, but it is it's essentially a uh, an issue within your eye, um, and you have uh, you know you you have difficulty seeing. I don't really know the details of it, but I do know that uh, that was it was a good cause. You know, um, in 2014, Lazar started 33rd and finished 32nd with a, a problem. Uh, you know, he always had he was always suffering. This, this, these cars were never meant. To go the full distance, that was the problem. The car, the cars that the, the short package that uh, the series and Chevrolet gave them was was never you were never meant to, fa- to to succeed. That's the thing that bothered me about that short program that they always uh, came was the teams that entered that were never meant to succeed. Like you mentioned, Jacques Villeneuve, that was actually a short program engine from Honda. So of course that car wasn't meant to succeed because of course you would see Alotion and Pagano doing much better than and qualifying much better. That you ended up seeing Villeneuve do, and the same thing happened here for for Lazier. Lazier just never really had an opportunity. Now, did he make up a whole ton of positions on the start? Yes, he did. These are facts that people like to forget. In 2013 and 2014, Lazier made up uh, a solid amount of spots up to about 25th, 26th, 24th, 23rd uh, before ending up having a problem. So it was he passed and overtook a whole bunch of cars on merit in that car that he was driving. Uh, it's just that it was not reliable whatsoever, so he ended up not finishing very well. All right, we're about at the halfway mark, so I think that uh, halfway mark, so we're about uh, 30 minutes into the show. So I think that sh- uh, represents a shift into the, the second part of the show, where instead of talking about the news and some of those things, let's go talk about uh, this week's winners and discussion about the race. So first and foremost, let's talk about this week's winners, the ARCA series, uh, the Arkham Menards West Series was at the Las Vegas Bullring, which I did actually watch. That was on at a very convenient time where there was nothing else on, so I was able to just plop over to NBC Gold and watch that. Gracie Trotter became the first woman to win an ARCA-sanctioned race. Technically, though, it's the second one to win in the West Division since Haley Deegan won, but that was not an ARCA-sanctioned race. That was right. still an ASPR-sanctioned race at the time. Right. Uh, so some muddy things here. Some people are saying she was the first female to win. She's not. She is. Depends it's a, on. It's it's complicated. It's complicated. It, she's the first to win an Arca sanctioned race. The second to win in the West Division. Yes, precisely. If that makes any sense to anybody who doesn't follow this uh, sport, yeah. um, the Arca Menard series uh, was actually also at Memphis. Ty Gibbs won that. Uh, the Sioux Chief Showdown champion was Sam Mayer. He ended up winning that because he won the most. Uh, or, Finished ahead in the championship points for all of the uh, Midwest races, right? The short tracks and stuff. Just the short tracks, yeah. Just the short, short tracks. tracks. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we moved on to the Gander RV and Outdoors Truck Series at Las Vegas. Austin Hill rebounded and won that. Hey, look at this. Look, guess who picked him to win the championship? I did. Uh, and I was so worried last week. And now I guess I don't have to be worried anymore. I told you he didn't have anything to be worried about. He won at Vegas last year. Had a great and truck. Won right again. Did. He did the same thing. He didn't do very well at the beginning of the last year's race, and then comes out, doesn't do very well at the beginning of this race, and comes out and wins it. I should just be more confident in my picks, is what I you should You should. <laughs> I was so nervous after after last week, and now I don't have to be. So, um, The Xfinity Series at Las Vegas was won by Chase Briscoe, again winning his eighth race of the season, which, like we mentioned earlier in the show, is pivotal for whether or not he wants to return to go to Cup next season. Uh, and then, uh, oh, here's some of the races that I watched late at night. Uh, Super Formula was at Okayama 
Cho Suboy had an incredible run uh, to win that race. Now, this is an interesting thing I want to talk about Super Formula because we're not going to be able to talk about this. We're not going to go in depth about it, but I do want to mention something about this. A few changes about the Super Formula from Motegi to Okayama. Uh, So first and foremost, four drivers were not able to make it to Okayama, and that was because they were not granted entry into this country of Japan because they were all in Le Mans last week in Europe, and they have to uh, do a mandatory two-week quarantine before they are allowed to re-enter Japan. So uh, I want to run down a list of these four drivers that were not in uh, the, um, who were not in the race, who were supposed to be in the race, and these are important drivers because they are in some ways, shape, or form very pivotal to the popularity of Super Formula, and they are some of the more well-known drivers in Super Formula. So uh, drivers that were not able to make it in this race were Kazuki Nakajima, uh, Kenta Yamashita, Kamui Kobayashi, and Taltiana Calderon. All four of those drivers were in Le Mans last week. All four were not able to make it to Japan. So they all had uh, replacement drivers come in for their Super Formula race. But this was actually an interesting, good thing, because as opposed to last last race they ran, uh, you had an issue where uh, they, they didn't have any pit stops. There were no pit stops run, and that was for cost and whatnot. But they realized that the racing was so poor that they said they're like no we have to put pit stops in we have to put we have to have at least one mandatory pit stop we have to alternate uh, the the tire compounds as well so they went ahead and did that and made for a much more entertaining show that was uh, won by Show Saboy yeah that's fun interesting you know uh, and he 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 chased down the pole leader Rio Hirakawa uh, to win that race so very very uh, entertaining Super Formula race you can go back and watch that on Motorsport TV anytime you want. Uh, it's also on YouTube through The Race if you want different commentary teams. Uh, supercars. Supercars had their penultimate round at The Bend. So this is interesting. They were at The Bend uh, last week or two weeks ago, uh, but they went to a totally different layout this week. Uh, so uh, race one of The Bend was won by Scott McLaughlin. Race two also won by Scott McLaughlin, who ended up then winning the championship. Scott McLaughlin is indeed your 2020 Supercars champion. Um Round three was then won by Cam Waters. He won his first career solo drive yet. Did have a win in an Enduro round, uh, but that was with the co-driver. So this was his first solo win in the supercars. And this was good because he has been close many times this season. He's been always you know, consistently a front runner, usually grabbing podiums, grabbing top five finishes, uh, but has not yet been able to seal the deal. So finally, Cam Waters ends up winning that race. But interesting to note because Scott McLaughlin is indeed the champion of the series. Uh with just Bathurst to go. So they were going to run Bathurst on October 18th, so in two weeks' time. Uh, and then he's going to come over here stateside to make his IndyCar debut at St. Petersburg for uh, Team Penske. Now, this is interesting also as well. We want to talk about the supercars thing uh, because I don't have a lot of time to get into it earlier. And I, you know, it, it's just a short little piece of news that I want to touch about. Uh, there's some serious questioning about whether or not Team Penske will continue the relationship with Dick Johnson Racing next year. So this whole DJR Team Penske thing has been going on for the last several years. They've got Fabian Coulthard, and they've got uh, Scott McLaughlin as as their drivers. Now, if Penske were to poach McLaughlin entirely, I don't know if Fabian would still have a ride. Fabian, obviously, is not uh, a—he he had an interview in in, during the last round in the race where he was not exactly very confident in his ability—in that he was going to come back to DJR Team Penske. He was very happy to help— secure McLaughlin's championship, but he has not necessarily been 
a championship contender, a race win contender. He's been outperformed by McLaughlin pretty much the whole season and previous seasons as well. Uh, so I'm not entirely sure if uh, Penske will make that decision, when that will make that decision. And it's also important to keep that decision noted because we don't know what's going to happen with the supercars because we don't know what's going to happen going forward with the manufacturers. Because keep in mind, Holden is retiring the brand. Chevrolet GM is retiring the Holden brand in Australia and in Oceania. So, boy, I don't know what a bunch of half the teams are going to do. And then Ford is, you know, still non-committal to its future down there either. So a lot of questions still remain to be seen in the supercars. But for now, we got the we got the final we had the penultimate race this week weekend, and then we've got the final race uh, in two weeks' time at Bathurst, which is Bathurst 1000, one of the most uh, pr- uh, prominent, prestigious races on the supercar schedule. So. That will be interesting. Uh, we did have Formula One was in Sochi, the Sochi Grand Prix. Uh, the Russian Grand Prix at the Sochi Autodrome was won by Valtteri Bottas. Uh, Formula Two was in Sochi as well. The feature race was won by Mick Schumacher. And then the sprint race, which quite literally became a sprint race, was won by Guan Yu Zhou, who finally won his first Formula Two race after coming so close so many times prior. Uh, the Renault back driver for UNI Virtuosi finally won that race. But... It was a bit of a subdued race because there was an accident about halfway through the race between Luca Giotto and Nikita Mazepin, which essentially resulted in the race being finished about seven laps through uh, because of they crashed, you know, in the in, in not a turn two, but like turn three, that long turn that you go through. Well, they had an accident there and essentially they broke the barriers. So the barriers took forever to replace, to repair, and they didn't want to delay the start of the Formula One race. So they just canceled the Formula 2 race while they repaired the barriers. Um, so Guan Yu Zhou only gets half points, but he does get credited with a win, even though the race only completed 7 out of 21 related uh, scheduled laps. Kind of disappointing way for Guan Yu Zhou to win his first race, because definitely I think that the Chinese driver had probably could have won the race, even regard. I mean, even if it had gone its full distance, even with the, you know, no matter what would have happened. Um, because you don't have to make a pit stop in the front, in the sprint race. You just don't have to. You do in the, in the feature race. You don't have to in the sprint race. So definitely he had uh, every opportunity to win that race. It's unfortunate that he was unable to, but, you know, hey, that's racing sometimes. Uh, things happen in racing. Yeah. Um, so uh, then the Cup Series was in Las Vegas, and that was won by Kurt Busch. Kurt Busch won that race, locked himself into the round of eight. Boy, that was a lot of races that we had today, and I took a lot. I took about ten minutes to talk about it. So, uh, let's go ahead and run, jump into our talk take top takeaways. We'll discuss. This is where we discuss the races. Uh, Josh, we had an interesting race in Russia. So, a lot mm-hmm. of this is the thing that a lot of people always say: is people say, "Ah, Sochi, it's not good. It's not a good racetrack. It's boring. There's no places to overtake and pass." I disagree. Because I watched the Formula 2 race and the Formula 1 race said differently. That there's plenty of places to pass if you're brave enough. Yeah. (laughs) If you're brave enough to pass, you can make it happen uh, at Sochi. Um, So I I think people are just not brave enough to make the pass. Maybe probably too smart to make a pass, too. Because let's be honest, you don't want to go too crazy. But um, so, yeah, the safety car was deployed on the first lap. I think... Leclerc definitely uh, hit Stroll, and that was a bit of... It was not a racing incident. It was definitely avoidable contact. Exactly. Um, I think I saw someone on Reddit posted a side-by-side between Hamilton's contact with Albon at at, at Austria that did end up in a penalty, and Mm -hmm. then Leclerc's 
contact with uh with with Stroll that did not yield a penalty. Stroll definitely. I have to give Lance Stroll all the creds in the world for just maintaining as as calm of a demeanor as he did. Because I have a strong feeling that if you asked Lance Stroll as soon as he got out of that race how he felt, he'd probably be like, Leclerc's a little... He'd probably have some words for Leclerc because uh, you're looking at somebody who probably has one of the fastest midfield cars just getting punted by a slow Ferrari. That's mm-hmm. that's that's totally what you want to have happen to your race in the first lap, you know? Uh, I, I, I have been halfway through the first lap. No, exactly. And that's why I said Stroll... Walking away, not visibly angry, seemingly able to just contain himself. I got to give the man creds because I would not be able to do that. I would be kicking my car in frustration mm-hmm. and uh, throwing my gloves at, at Leclerc when he drove by. If, I was waiting uh, for that. Wait for him to sit there like Ward Burton just waiting on Dale Earnhardt Jr. at Bristol. I mean, I mean, for, for real, he got punted. I'm like, first off, when they saw the replay, I'm like, there's no way he just spun out on his own. There's no, no way. Exactly. And then I, Sky Sports finally gets a hold of the replay, and I'm like, it's about time. Um, and, and yeah, it was clear. Yeah, that was a clearly avoidable contact from Charles Leclerc, and should have been penalized for it. So why wasn't he? That's that's a big question I have. Going back to that same Reddit post in the comments, it was I found out that guess who uh, represents Charles Leclerc. As his, uh, as his, like, uh, as his agent. Is, this, uh, is it a company owned by Lawrence Stroll? Oh, no, 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 no. Thick, bigger, thick, FIA, bigger, thick, Jean Tot's son. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that. And now Politics I found Politics is out. alive and well in Formula yes. One, folks. Politics is very much alive and well. So, hmm. Of course, I don't, I, it's easy to connect the dots and put two and two together on some kind of conspiracy theory. Yeah. Uh, it, it really probably isn't. But, but the stewards pro Leclerc had, or whatever. Yeah, the stewards had enough evidence or uh, precedent, I should say, precedent. Yes, to penalize him. They and should they have did. penalized him. Yeah, he should have been given at least a. Well, what was Hamilton given? Five seconds. Hamilton got two five-second penalties for uh, a, a practice start violation. No, no, no. I'm talking back in Austria. Oh, in Austria, yeah, he was given a five-second penalty. Yeah. I think. so that's what he should, he should give him a five-second time penalty. And I don't know where does that drop him to. He, he, where would he? Where would he have been? Where did he finish? That he? Oh, he wouldn't have lost the position. He still would have finished sixth. But still, it, it, it would have it, been justification for the penalty. The penalty would yes. have been justified. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 absolutely. But and yeah, he, this, man this deserves penalty points on his license because now, if, if you know, we were looking at a situation, and I'm sorry to interrupt you there, but we were good. looking literally at a situation on Sunday. Where if the FIA had not rescinded the penalty points on Hamilton's uh, super license, one more penalty point would have banned Lewis Hamilton for the next for another race. Yeah. Like he would have had he had eleven penalty points on Sunday until the FIA decided like they uh, Mercedes appealed the penalty, Lewis Hamilton appealed the penalty, and they said, okay, well you still get the ten second time penalty, but we're not going to penalize you on the penalty points, which I think was fair yeah. because in all honesty, I don't think that. Something like that is is like unsafe or something like no. what Hamilton did at the start of the race was not worthy of penalty points on a super license. It's probably right. worthy more of a penalty, a time penalty, but not. I think penalty points on your super license is just ridiculous, especially considering the fact that it would have gotten him one point closer to a race ban. Yeah, 
which again, why would which some of these points will drop off in November? Yeah, but but still, I mean, if he has an issue at Germany, you know, oh and, gosh, yeah, he better be know, careful in Germany you, now too. Yeah, so you can't you can't allow that you can't allow that to happen. And and I agree. While I still think, me personally, like what he did was this is so questionable. Why? Why this is this? Why is this a rule type of thing? This seems like a really ridiculous deal. I, I get it. It's one of those things like I get it, but I'm like, this is silly. And this isn't the first time he's done this. There has to be another time where he's done this before, and other drivers have done it too, and they haven't been right. caught. Um, but yeah, no super license points. That's a good move on his part. And I just want to say here, um, my gosh, signs. Worst luck in the world. I don't know what to te- what to tell how to, how what do you tell Carlos Sainz like because you're not even sure it's gonna get better <laughs> for him like next you you could look at him you could go to up to him and you could just be like hey bud it'll get better and then he'll look you straight in the eye and be like my contract says I'm going to Ferrari next season there's no way it's gonna get better but what did we say eighteen months at when he at, at Monza he said we said eighteen months he has to wait until he realistically has a shot at winning another race. Because unless there's rain at one of these races coming up, so Germany and Turkey in in all reality, because it's not going to rain in Bahrain or Abu Dhabi. Um, so unless it rains at one of those tracks, he really doesn't have a shot. Oh, and then two, Albin, what what the heck? That I mean, was a weird one. What the heck? Why 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 couldn't he move forward? Him and Norris both, but why why Albin ended up finishing? He ended up finishing tenth, but he took him way too long to get going. Oh, I know. No, I, I, I don't, I, I don't know, man. I don't know what that that second red. Why Red Bull even brings two cars to track? I don't know. Just bring one. <laughs> Give the other just, one. It's Verstappen show. Yeah, I know. All right, what's up with the truck series? All right, let's talk about the truck series here because uh, we had an interesting time in the truck series. Like I said, Austin Hill was the winner, which was good for me. But uh, hey, Natalie Decker did not start. Credited with last face place finish not medically cleared by nascar to start the race i did you hear about what this was all about i didn't hear about i, it. I mean i knew about yet. it but i didn't she know like, medical issues since she had her gallbladder removed i believe last december she's had some on again off again issues mm-hmm. that have taken her that kept her out of some races she was supposed to be in so i'm not sure if this is related to that i haven't seen anything i just saw the update tweet that she tweeted out like hey we're going back to find out tests to figure out what's going on basically so no word yet well i mean that's i mean we'll see what happens there but uh hey the truck series race in 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 for the most part was uh pretty pretty interesting um we've got uh, sheldon creed basically dominating stages one and two yeah but but i will say that connor daly and travis pastrana being in the race was actually a and i mean i wish they did better they didn't perform nearly as well as i had hoped they would, you know. Right. Honestly, I, did I think they were gonna perform? We're gonna blow everybody out the out of the water. No, but I definitely hope that they would have uh, finished a little bit better than they did. But you know, hey, what what are you gonna do? I mean, both of them don't race stock cars every day like everybody else does, or stock trucks now. Excuse me, yeah. um, every day. So it is what it is. But uh, I thought it was enjoyable. Hey, um, eighteenth place finish for Daly. I don't think it's anything to really shit, you know, be mad about. No, you know, in, in your first truck start. Effect. I mean, granted, behind you, realistically, the only good truck out there behind you was 
was your teammate and then Rafael Assard, but still he didn't wreck. He didn't get right. anyone's way. Uh, and you know, again, he kept it clean. So good, good for him. Good, good start. Hopefully he comes back and does some more stock car racing when he's not racing any car. Well, I mean, yeah, that's, I see Connor Daly is again, the guy who will race anything yeah. for anyone. I mean, he's proven that in IndyCar that he will, he's racing the full season with two different teams. Let's just, Keep that in mind. He's racing yeah. the full season with two different teams. Um, so, yeah. And then uh, Austin Hill just continued to get better throughout the race uh, and definitely continuously scared everybody else who was in that race by basically saying, hey, I'm going to put you guys at this point, at this rate. Um, even though Sheldon Creed did put up a good, good fight, Austin Hill ended up winning, dug himself out of the hole, won the race, and was able to advance into uh, the next round. Uh, so going into Talladega, we've got Ben Rhodes and Todd Gilliland below the cut line. Hill obviously is advanced, followed by Creed, Brett Moffat, Zane Smith, Grant Infinger, Tyler Ankrum, who surprisingly is above the cut line, and I did not expect right. that to happen. Uh, Matt Crafton and Christian Eckes is six points above. So Ben Rhodes, six points back. Todd Gilliland, 19 points back going into the cutoff here at Talladega. Yeah, this is kind of a surprising the way this is playing out. I mean, the, the Gillen thing was kind of tough. I think he was kind of like that border, that last guy mm-hmm. in for both of us. But, I mean, Ancrum's a surprise. But, you know, it's Saldega. You know, I think Creed's in a really good position. He's in a really good position. Moffitt's in a eh, – and Moffitt and Zane Smith are in – and Finger too, are kind of in like eh positions, protect. They're in protection mode. At, they're, at they're in modes where they're kind of like they could run around at the back and probably be fine. Yes, if they exactly. had to, they exactly. can run around at the back, avoid the big one, probably be fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Creed, on the other hand, could probably just personally, I think I have a fifty-two point gap and they fifty-two point gap over the cutoff, and then having gotten what what is that twenty bonus points from winning sweeping well, both stages. Yeah, if, if, if Rose doesn't score any stage points, and let's say Creed goes out there and wins the stage or at least scores eight or nine points, he's automatically locked in after stage yeah. one. So I think Creed is in a situation where he could go out there and kind of race as if he's advanced already. I mean, I think yeah. it's going to be very hard for Sheldon Creed to be eliminated, for, to be cut, uh, period, no matter what happens. Obviously, I know it's Talladega, but I'm saying, like, even if he gets involved in a big one, I don't think it's going to affect his points all that much it might because especially when the round especially since next round the points are just going to get reset again and if he could go out there and win uh you know say what do i want to say if he could go out there and win uh, another race or not even have to win if he can at least at the very least win the stages he's going to be fine it's a playoff point for that reset so yeah uh, that's definitely all of those things are possible we'll just have to wait and see talladega being the ultimate equalizer i again I question Talladega being a cutoff race. It's not I've tough never... you can't, you, This has got to, you, you can't, it's, it's tough. I agree with you say, cause it sucks. It sucks. It sucks for everybody because it's a wild card. You, you, it's, you, a, yeah. it's like, it's like throwing a wild card match in like before the semifinals of a playoff match. You know what I mean? But it's I mean, all like, oh, hey, by the way, this guy is, uh, th- this team is, has a chance to play this team if, even though they were worse, they just get, yeah, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's impossible. It's weird. It's, it's based around impossible. the cup schedule, though, and that's what makes it difficult. And yeah. I mean, I agree. It'd be nice because I'm sure they got a couple off weekends here where they could have, in theory, in a normal world, go to a place like Memphis 
right. have their cutoff race at and at Memphis, but yeah. Short track Short cutoff races are still just as entertaining. It's just that they're not complete crapshoots where half the field could get taken out at any given point. You know yeah. what I mean? Like we've seen. Uh, like we've seen. Yeah. Moving on here to the Xfinity series. Here's something I gotta tell you. I didn't get to see a lot of the Xfinity series. I don't know why I didn't get to see a lot of the Xfinity series. Um had to have been a big reason. What was the reason? No, I should have been able to watch the Xfinity series race. I did watch the Xfinity race. What was I talking about? Um, I just can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, but anyway, so Ryan Sieg, Noah Gregson, Austin Cedric, really having a good race. Ryan Sieg in general having an incredible race, uh, an incredible season swing, period. I mean, right now, I'm looking at this right now. He is nine points to the good. He earned 15, 15 stage points. So you subtract that 15 stage points, Chastain's above the cut line, and Sieg is back. That's yeah. that's that that's he's below. He's the first guy out. That's the difference that stage points makes. And I thought it was very cool to to hear the report that that was an RCR built car. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this we'll have a we'll have a question related to this later in the show. Uh, hint hint. Spoiler alert. But <laughs> but you know it was good to see this team. I mean, they had that little bobble on pit road, and then he also he finishes fifth, and he doesn't have the AC hose plugged in. Right. By the way. That was amazing to me, and and he was really. I think, I, you, I think he might have been using the tires up a little bit because he was really good in the beginning of the run. They would fade a little bit, at least in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was holding his own when like Briscoe was leading and he was second. He was holding his own. He wasn't falling back ridiculously fast. It was it was really really entertaining. But Briscoe just kicked everyone's butt. I think the only one who maybe could have contested with Briscoe was Chastain, but after Chastain hit the wall, oh yeah, that was end of stage one. His his it was more than just you know the than the composite body could take, and something went wrong with the car, and and it just wasn't the same. And unfortunately, then after he gets wicked loose and he saves the car, I mean that was that's a contender for save of the year. Uh, the way that car was snapped back, um, and then he finished sixteen. So rough night for Chastain. He had a top ten car still after that wall hit, but it, it wasn't the same after that. After that little miscue, there's places you can hit the wall, and then there's places you can't. Mm-hmm. Las Vegas is one of those places you just can't really afford to hit the wall. You really don't need to because the track is plenty wide. Yeah, the track is plenty wide. I mean, I think we saw this. This is the thing that I want to talk about. Las Vegas has, you know, I think a lot of people question Las Vegas having two races two dates and whatnot. I think the last two years have really kind of shown me that, you know, maybe this was the right idea. Maybe it's not a bad thing for Las Vegas to have two dates because really, I think we've seen some really, really good races across all three uh, series. Whenever we go to Las Vegas. Um, And that's something that I don't think, you know, any other track can say very few tracks can say maybe Darlington's probably the only one that could say that. And that's not a mile and a half racetrack. Look, um, I think I think Las Vegas, Kansas, and Chicagoland are models for what mile and a yeah. half should be. Not you know with banking and then surface construction. Mm-hmm. And, and then the sad part here is we don't know what the future of Chicagoland is going to hold. If we're going to end up having to go to a street course next year or two years from now in Chicago, so that's disappointing in and of itself. Because I really do like Chicagoland Speedway. Because like you said, it, you're right. It is a perfect racetrack in that it produces good racing no matter what 
series is there. Yeah, <laughs> I, it's true. I mean, you're 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 exactly right. So yeah, I mean, I, I, all three races were great. The Xfinity race, I did like. You know, the cars were able to move around a little bit more. They were harder to drive. You're out. You have more off gas time in the Xfinity cars just because they have lower downforce. By the way, I tweeted out. Uh, Bob Pocker said that teams should expect the package next year uh, for the Cup Series soon. To me, if there if we aren't going to low downforce, coupled with either 750 or 550 horsepower everywhere, I mean, I don't care what the engine horsepower is, but you got to have low downforce wherever right. you're at. Okay, so if you want to run 550 horsepower at Las Vegas, give them a, an inch and a half, two inch spoiler, and call it and call it a day. And this yeah. is the thing I don't understand about running low downforces is I feel like all of the fans and then all of the drivers want this. I, I mean, I don't. I can't Kyle Busch says of, that the Xfinity racing is better. It is. It is. And I Ross Chastain does too. Well, last two two years, this year and last year, I've been saying the Xfinity series is yeah. the top echelon of racing in NASCAR because of their their low downforce. Yeah. Uh, Kyle Busch is probably the best one to say that because I mean, here's the thing about Kyle Busch. And I want to talk about Kyle Busch specifically. I know we're we're talking about the Xfinity series. I'm going to jump into the Cup series because I want to talk about the Cup series before we run out of time here. Yeah, go ahead. I want to talk about the Cup series because the Cup series, Kyle Busch is so right. Kyle Busch had, you know, is is in a situation this year where it is uncharacteristic for him. I think a lot of it is due to the lack of practice. He has yeah. no practice, but also probably because of the car, because you not only Kyle Busch can't set up his car the way he wants to, because right. he doesn't have practice to do that. First time he gets to get a feel of what that car is going to do is when the green flag drops. And mm-hmm. that is insane to any race car driver who is trying to throw adjustments onto the car and try and figure out what to do. Yeah. So you have that situation first and foremost going on, but then you kind of pile things on top of it by saying, you know, Kyle is going out there, and I've said it. I said it several weeks ago on the show. I said it week after week after week on the show, is that Kyle Busch is being hindered by this package because he cannot be Kyle Busch. Because this package, as I've said many times before, high downforce, where basically I know we it's in the show notes here that you know we mentioned that some drivers were burping the throttle here and there in the corner. That's great, but the thing is, you're still full throttle around most of the tracks. Mm. Like most of the tracks that we're going to go to for, you know, let's let's see here. I'm, not the Roval, obviously, but, you know, a lot of uh, Vitaladega you're going to be full throttle for. Um, you know, we're, well, that's, we're, a diff- we're, that's a different animal. But you look at you look at Kansas, Kansas and Texas, are, Texas are, are the last two mile Texas, and a half. Tracks. Maybe not so much because of turn one, but turn three and four, you're definitely going to be full throttle through around there. Uh, Kansas, you're definitely going to be full throttle around there. You know, this is something that, why are we doing this? Is That's not right. The only track that we should be going full throttle around is Talladega. And Daytona. And Daytona. There's no reason why these drivers should be going full throttle. And that's the thing that bothers me the most is I think comparatively, we watch the Xfinity Series race, you watch the Cup Series race. Both races on Sunday were good in their own rates. It's yeah. just that the Cup Series, you could tell that drivers, it was not up to them. On how, where they were on the racetrack. It was up to luck, track position, their team strategy, and maybe the draft. Yeah, and, and, and what's the big thing that NASCAR, we want the restarts to be exciting. Did, were you not excited by the Xfinity Series restarts? I was more excited. I was just as excited. I mean, the Cup yeah. Series, the I Cup thought series. they were going to wreck every single time. The Xfinity yeah. Series, it actually looked like they could wreck because the cars were sideways. Exactly. You have let, they have, first off, we both, 
I think, agree to some point that these cars got to be sucked. They're too sucked on the ground. They got to be lifted up. They got to have some. Oh, 100%. You can't be slot carring around around there. In the Xfinity cars, they are sucked to the ground, but they have less downforce. So, I mean, I, I don't, I, I just don't know what to think anymore. I, I feel like I'm just beating a dead horse. And I've been doing it for a year. All we do here on this show is we beat dead horses and we talk about NASCAR's aerodynamic packages. Yeah. So, I mean, just go what you can to the, to, to the Xfinity cars because I, I would love to see what these cop guys could do in those cars. Just, just like, okay, Joe Gibbs, guess what you're doing this week? You're bringing your Supras and you're going to race them in the Cup Series. Everyone else finds some some Fords and some uh, Chevrolets from, from Xfinity guys because that's what you're going to bring because they're going to be put on a much better show wherever we are. Well, particularly at the mile and a half. It's just, it, 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 I hate when I get excited when I'm watching the Xfinity race and they go to the in-car camera and Jeff Burton or Dale Earnhardt Jr. or, or when it was Fox and it was Kurt Busch and, or Clint Borg going, all right, listen, listen to the, listen to the engineer. Listen to how he works the throttle and he'll be off. He'll be completely off. He's not like, mm-hmm. it, he's completely off. And then you do in the cup series with, with, with Jeff and, and, and Dale again, and then Jeff Gordon in the cup series. And there's like no off throttle time. No, you're never off the throttle. Like, Every time like, I, 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 full throttle the whole time. Yeah. I recently, the last point on this point, I, I watched the 2001 Kmart 400 at Michigan a couple nights ago, which, by the way, was the, my first NASCAR race I ever went to. And they in-car cameras and stuff, and and they had you know the the you know the technology showing what the throttle was. They're off throttle at Michigan. How long like, are they off the throttle for? Too? Are they off the throttle for about half the turn before they get back into it? Or oh, they- two thirds, two thirds of the turn, they were off throttle, and 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 you're you're simply hoping it sticks in the line. You're working down. You might use a little bit of brake to turn the corner the way you want it to, depending on how your car's handling, depending on your driving style. But yeah, I mean, Jeff was entering the corner as a leader after t- on a tire run, well into twenty laps into a tire run, like one ninety eight, and mm-hmm. would get down to one fifty three. And then he's getting back on gas, and that's two thirds of the way through the corner. And I'm like, "What's wrong with what we're watching here?" And it was exciting racing. He wasn't it running was. away either, and it was relatively close field. Now, granted, more there were more the, the competition was closer then, yes. but I still believe if the top twenty five in the Cup Series are close, I believe the top twenty five, anyone in that top twenty five, can win in the right circumstances. And you can have a race like we I saw at Michigan today if you had the right package. And yeah. it's not it's not all the car, it's what the rules say. And I mean, you put high downforce on that 2001 Monte Carlo and it's stuck to the ground, it's going to behave very similarly to how the, the, the Chevrolet Camaro is behaving today in the country. changed the way I feel about that beautiful Monte Carlo because I, I loved it, not just because of the way it looks, but also because of the way it raced. Yes. Hey, before we move on here, let's talk about the playoff update here too. Because I mean, Kurt Busch is advancing. By the way, congratulations to Kurt Busch on that one. Um, first went hometown. You could tell he'd been crying when he climbed out of the car, which just makes you feel happy. Not that he's crying, but he's happy tears. And he's wanted to win there for so long, and then you feel sad because there's no fans there to celebrate with them. Which, by the way, is kind of upsetting. Because yeah. I saw plenty of videos from that Raiders game where like people were not social distancing. I'm like, okay. Got, 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 got to enforce it everywhere and not governor. Okay, I don't care what it is. Get the cops in there. Break it up. Okay. They didn't have fans at the Raiders game, though. No, but they were outside. Outside. Oh, outside. outside. The By the but, way, I, I want to – random and, and totally off-topic thought. I want to say 
that new Raiders stadium is beautiful. It's great. Yeah, it's great. And I want to say also, I'm glad that the Raiders finally have a stadium to play in that is That's not crumbling world. around them and yes. smells like sewage. Correct. Correct. <laughs> now I'll, I guess I get the Athletics a new stadium in Oakland or get them out of there. Um, but they just general needs to understand that it's not a bad thing to invest in sports teams if it means property values go up and you have tourism it doesn't it doesn't do you any good to have bars close you know yeah that's exactly tax money, yeah, that's money tourism money that's going out the window um but what i was gonna say was harvick's good hamlin's good they're both 61 and 58 up going into talladega i think they're pretty safe at the moment uh but that battle 16 points, 15 points, 11 points, 10 points, 9 points, 9 back. That's Keselowski, Truex Jr., Logano, Elliott, Bowman, and Kyle Busch. That's a very tight race. Kurt we Busch see a very different-looking standings a week from now. Kurt Busch advancing knocked Kyle Busch out of, yeah. out of the playoffs, basically. Well, that would be a huge swing because I think Elliott would be, Elliott would be 30 points up over Boyer, who would be on, who, who would be on the cutoff. You know, just just for in, in Keselowski would be forty six up. Hamlin and Harvick would be a really high up on on there. So that win this is kind of a big wild card win that we all have hoped for and really haven't seen a lot of in the well, past. It would few happen years. at Talladega, but it happens here at Las Vegas with Kurt Busch. Exactly, it was great. It was I, great. I mean, though I will say there was one thing. I was I'm sad that Austin Dillon had the problem that he had. It went, he was running good, and it went from bad to worse. There was a point in the playoffs where he's sixth in points. Yes. There was a point in that race where he was sixth in points, and he had every opportunity to just bust everybody's bracket right then and there, and he probably would have too. If, he, mm-hmm. if that car, I guarantee you, if that car had made it through the, the whole race, I can almost guarantee you Austin Dillon would have pulled off a top 10 finish and probably like ruined the rest of the, the playoffs, the round yeah. of the playoffs for everybody below him. And I'm not ready to write him off. He's a he, those RCR cars do good at the super speedways. Chevrolet is going to be working together at Talladega. You know they're going to. I'm not writing them off yet, but the Roval is like you got to do. They've got to make up some points at really? Talladega. Talladega, Talladega might be Austin Dillon's best opportunity. I'm not going to rule him out at the Roval because I, but I just don't know how good of a road racer racer he is. I feel like somebody else. This this is the thing. Also, I want to talk about Kyle Busch. As I said this on Twitter too, is the problem is you could consider Kyle Busch a favorite to win both Talladega and the Roval because you consider I would consider Kyle Busch to be an excellent plate driver as well as an excellent road racer, and yet based upon how the season has gone for him this it's year, not gone well. it's not even likely that he could even be in contention to win either of those races, which is insane because you're talking about probably one of the best drivers at the prime of his career coming off a, his second career championship and. Betting on him is basically the most dangerous thing you could potentially do with your I'm money. Kinda com- I'm kind of comparing Kyle Busch to Jeff Gordon. Jeff Gordon goes out and wins six, six races, finishes second in the championship in 07, which, by the way, he scored the most points that year. There should be the Jeff There should be the Jeff Gordon Award for most points scored in a single season because him, Richard Petty, and Dale Hart Sr. are the only people to score the most points in, in, in a season seven times, but I digress. Um... <laughs> But Gordon goes out and goes winless in 08. Yeah. Okay. And and some of that was maybe the COT. He didn't like the COT, but still, this it, it I'm I'm drawing parallels here here. So um, I remember that year he finished last at Texas, and that was like the first time he'd ever first done time that. he finished last in a race. Yeah. Yes. 
All right, we should probably go to the outstanding performance here. Yeah, because I think both of our outstanding performance is actually reflective of the cup race that we're talking about here. Yeah. Because I think we we picked the same driver, and I think we're going to both say the exact same reasons that we picked the same driver. And it's because this is somebody who, you know, I, I think I'll go into detail about it when, when I get it more. So I guess I'll just go ahead. You Why don't you explain why you picked him, and then I'll, I'll explain why I picked him. Yeah, I think we both deliberately have not talked about this driver because of this segment. Yeah. Matt Benedetto, okay? The deadline to make it de- for the Wood Brothers to make a decision on his future of that team. Is he coming back or is Austin Sindrick going to the 21 is basically what this boils down to. Um, is this week, all right? We'll, we'll probably find out later today or when this show gets released on Wednesday or Thursday. We will know the future. And, and to be all honest, it's probably already been decided. We just don't know. Um, but he he ran the top 10 most of the night. It was a great race. And for a night where he needed to show, hey, you need to keep me in this car next year, he picked a heck of a time to do it. And, uh, and, and on Racing Reference, he actually was in the top 15, 94% of the race. So that's pretty good. I don't know what the other races look like this year, but still, 94% of the race were in the top five in a cup series. That's not too shabby mm-hmm. in general. Um, and then, you know, he was the beneficiary of that, of NASCAR's horrendous freeze the field rules. They're just stupid. He beat the pace car out, which means he's ahead. It's just, it's convoluted, but he was the beneficiary of it. Comes out the leader. Kurt Busch is the only guy who passes him the rest of the night. All right. Mm-hmm. And he holds off and he finishes second. Did his job. Yeah. Did a little luck going to it, but yeah, he's still having a good run in general before that. So uh, good job from Matt Benedetto. Rob, why are your reasons? My reasons are pretty much almost the same as yours. I mean, we're looking at somebody who has had a career year, and this is something that people need to understand. This is something that the Wood Brothers need to take into account. I agree. Because you're talking about somebody who joins a brand new team and immediately outpaces, essentially, the last two drivers that have been in that car. And I don't want to take anything away from Ryan Blaney. Because he did very well in the in the 21. He did win a race in the 21. I got to give him all credits on that. Mm-hmm. But Matt DiBenedetto's success so far in the 21, I think, to me personally, has been one step above what Ryan Blaney did in the same car. And this is not to take anything away from Ryan Blaney. I still firmly believe Ryan Blaney is one of the top talents in the series. He's still one of the top talents in top young talents in, in the entire all of NASCAR. But I look at Matt Benedetto, and I think this is somebody who is who still has a ton of potential. Mm-hmm. Still has potential. I mean, people, you know, people don't like to talk about potential. You know, you usually you talk about potential with guys who, uh, you know, have not been in the seat for very long. You know, somebody who's not been in racing for very long have, is having potential. Whereas to Benedetto here, I've known of him for about ten years now. You know, regard in in. Either whether it was a you know a KNN series race, was a nationwide race for Joe Gibbs, what have you. This is somebody who has made a lot of progress through his life, through his career. This mm-hmm. is somebody who might take a little bit while longer to get there. But I also think that it's it's because you know he's been running when he was with Gibbs. He was in R and D stuff basically. You know when he was running the nationwide stuff. Okay, so that's not that great. All right. Well, then ever since he's been into Cup, he's been running terrible R and D stuff until this year. When he goes to Wood Brothers, what does he do? The first season he gets into the Wood Brothers, he makes the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, Paul Menard made the playoffs, but he didn't yeah. do it with the Wood Brothers when the Wood Brothers were pretty much at the top of their game. 
yeah, so, he, yeah, he did something that Paul couldn't do. Ryan did once or twice. So uh, yeah, Ryan did because he won a race in 2017. Did he, he make it in 2017? Uh, but I don't know when where where he was uh, if he was eliminated when he was eliminated in 2016. He was eliminated after the first round, like Matt was this year, or not. But you know, I look at that and I say, you know, yes, you can get probably a better drive. Yeah, they, the Wood Brothers could go ahead and decide they're going to tap Eric Jones and call it a day. They can do that. But why? 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 I mean, you know what you're going to get with Eric Jones. You kind of don't know what you're going to get here with Mente Benedetto yet. You know, you know, and that's kind of unfair to me to say because it's hard to justify keeping Mente Benedetto over someone like Eric Jones. But um, I feel very strongly like, you know, Jones is consistent in his mediocrity. And that's mean to say, I know. But what have we seen out of Eric Jones? I mean, he just he's the consistently the fourth best Gibbs car. Yeah. And now he's not running poorly. He's not running in the twenties. He's running in the top ten. He's running in the top fifteen. You know, and probably pay him a heck of a lot less. So I mean, I'm looking at stuff like that and saying, you know, Wood Brothers would be stupid not to keep McDonough honestly at this rate because he's gonna he's gonna have more flashes of brilliance than I think Eric Jones would. And that's just my opinion. And this is somebody, uh, this is coming from someone like me who actually really does like Eric Jones as a driver and really wants to see him have success. But I'm just not so sure it's going to happen with the Wood Brothers. And that's why I'm going to give it to Matt Benedetto. Matt Benedetto, outstanding performance, absolutely done great. Josh, let's run into upshift, downshift, because I'm talking too long and we still have to get to your featured racetrack. So uh, upshift, downshift, one of the uh, great moments of the show. Uh, we present a series of hypothetical questions and or statements. Josh and I then go back and forth whether or not we upshift or downshift. Upshift meaning we agree. Downshift meaning we disagree. We can also shift into neutral if we just simply do not have one opinion one way or the other on it. First question of the day. The South Point 400 should have been a Saturday night race on NBC instead of Sunday evening night race on NBCSN competing with Sunday night football. Do you upshift or downshift, I mean, Josh? Is there any other way to shift but you know, upshift. Yeah. It should have been a Saturday night race. Why are you competing with the NFL? It's stupid. All right. And you're on NBCSN. You're already going to have less viewers in general. If the, I don't even know if Notre Dame played on Saturday night or not, nor do I really care. Sorry, Indiana. They, uh, we're supposed to, but the game was not actually going to be on NBC. The game was actually going to be on the ACC network because Notre okay, Dame yeah. is playing in the ACC uh, conference in football for only this season, only this season. First time Notre Dame football has ever played in a conference, I believe. Okay, uh, well, yeah. So, so my point is, if the if you had an in uh, in Notre Dame home game, you could just play it during the day. Okay, it's one NASCAR race. I think okay. the game was scheduled for two o'clock on the ACC well, network. So that's why I don't think there I don't yeah. think there was any conflict that NBC had. Well, there you go. So my, my point is, it's one Saturday night race. Move it to Saturday night. Put it on NBC. You're going to get more viewers than on NBCSN. Okay? If that isn't abundantly clear, I don't know why it wouldn't be. But, yeah, I upshift. It should have been a Saturday night race, not Sunday night competing with the NFL. You know, I would have probably had a bigger feeling about it if, you know, the Seahawks were playing sat- Sunday night like they did last week. Like, I think if – you know, it was a situation where last week where I would have had to pick between the race and the Seahawks game. Don't make me do that, first of all. Don't make me pick between my two loves, please. I hate doing that. 
I, I hate having to do that. Like, I feel like most NASCAR races that happen in the afternoon always make me pick between my two loves. Like, this is why I want you to start these races at 1 o'clock so I don't have to pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, don't make me pick between my racing and my Seahawks because I can't do it. I can't, I can't make that decision. I just can't. Um, personally, I am in uh, a situation of I don't care because of that situation because it was Packers Saints. I don't have a vested interest in either of those. I don't really care personally. Um, I mean, do I like Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers? Yes, but I'm not a fan of either of the teams because they're rivals of the Seahawks, so I don't care. So I didn't really have a big deal. It didn't affect me maybe as much as it maybe affected somebody who was a Packers or a Saints fan, you know what I mean? Um, but also you have to keep in mind that, you know, you don't have fans either at Las Vegas, so what are we, you know, are we uh, – who are we doing this for? You know, are we doing this for the fans or are we doing this for the ratings? What are we doing this for? And I think uh, if we were doing this for the fans and the ratings, we should have, like you said, I upshift in that we should have probably ran this race on Saturday afternoon. It was supposed to be a Sunday night race to begin with. True. Before COVID. But it still should have been a Saturday afternoon race because I think trying to do a Sunday night race in the fall is just going to cause too many problems because you have, first of all, you have kids that got to go to school the next morning. And then you got Sunday night football happening, and people are watching watching that. And even then, if you start the race before Sunday night football, which they did, well, I think the start of the race is seven o'clock, you're still gonna have people who are probably gonna be catching up from the late games from the NFL games that are gonna be catching up. Probably gonna have to deal with people watching NFL primetime now on, on, on ESPN Plus, which to be honest with you, I watch every week because I love Boomer. Um but hey, you know, it is what it is. Um that's why but hey, I I I yeah, it should have been a Saturday afternoon race on NBC. Next question. After watching what Ryan Sieg and his family team were able to accomplish with an RCR-prepared car, if you are Richard Childress Racing Executives, do you consider increasing support for RSS Racing? Upshift or downshift? Josh? I'm going to make this quick and simple for time. I'm upshifting. Yeah, Ryan Sieg has already proven in just older cars that he is capable of running in the top 10 give him an, a, a prepared car from a top team and he do, goes out and does that. I'm going to consider it for sure. I want to look at the numbers. I'm going to look at the numbers. I'm going to consider it. So I upshift. Uh, I think so. Yes. I think it's a situation where, you know, if you can expand a little bit, cause you already got Mike Snyder running for him uh, and you like Mike Snyder. I think RCR tends to like Mike Snyder. I think he's done a good job for, um, he didn't make, make the playoffs. Obviously I think because he, didn't run the full season for RCR. He could have probably if he had run the full season yeah. uh, for RCR. But, um, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say, yeah, as long as, you know, Ryan Sieg doesn't start beating the the company teams, company cars, <laughs> I, I don't see a problem with it. So yeah. uh, next one here, James Hinchcliffe is a favorite to be the full-time driver of the Andretti Autosport number 26 car in 2021. Do you upshift or downshift? I'm going to upshift because that's all I have to say. This is something that should have happened a long time ago. Josh, how do you feel about it? I upshift, and I think he's probably the only guy on the list. I mean, I really do. I don't know who the uh, who another option would be in all reality, other than Ella Castro Nevis or or Tony Canon. But I mean, Hinchcliffe. I still like believing that Canon is going to run the ovals for Jimmy Johnson's third car. I have no like. I, like that. I have uh, I mean, no. I like it. There's no I evidence to back it up. Yeah, like there is no evidence. This is an entirely baseless claim that I'm making. Yeah. This is just something I want to see happen. Right. Uh, Anyway, uh, the next question here is, uh, this is maybe controversial, but we'll see. 
Mm -hmm. uh, the FIA has informed drivers they are not allowed to wear anything other than their race suits that are done up to the neck and worn properly during the podium ceremony after Lewis Hamilton wore a t-shirt displaying the words, arrest the cops who killed Brianna Taylor during the ceremony at Mugello. Do you upshift or downshift? Well, first of all, I'll upshift on arresting the cops who killed Brianna Taylor. I'll say that. But uh, outside of that, Josh, what do you think? I get where they're coming from. Uh, I got to say it's a, it's tough. I, I feel like it's just, I get where they're coming from because this is a ceremony. This is for the sponsors. This is for the track. They didn't come out and say, you know, hey, let's keep some of this stuff to pre-race and then your post-race interviews. Let's leave the, let's leave the the podium celebration and ceremony alone. I don't know, man. I kind of got a downshift though. It it just seems too. It it just it didn't come off the tongue right from them. You know, here's the thing. I agree with Hamilton's sentiment, and I have agreed with Hamilton's sentiment, and I think that right. a lot of people. Uh, you know, a lot of people agree with me in that. It's just that I think the FIA has rules in place that have been in place for a long time that pretty much say, you know, keep your activism and keep politics and things like that off of your car out outside of, you know, FIA ceremonies. You know, you don't want to put political statements or activistic activism statements on the car. That's been banned. It's been banned for a long time. Yeah. Um, and that's probably the right thing. I, I wish NASCAR would do it personally, but they won't. But I digress. Um, the FIA, but this has been a rule in the FIA for years, for years. I mean, this is not a new thing. Mm -hmm. Hamilton has been outspoken. There's nothing wrong with him being outspoken. I don't have yeah. a problem with him being outspoken. But the FIA has, has laid out and said the rules are rules. Rules are rules. We don't want this kind of stuff. We don't have – I mean if they come out and say, we don't have a problem with what you're saying. We agree with you. We just don't want you to say it during this time. I think that's a fair – that's a fair thing to ask. I think the – but like you said, the way that they came out about and say it, it does definitely seem – I understand why Lewis Hamilton is going off today saying the FIA is out to get him because they penalize him in the race and then they go ahead and do this. They're, it's like they're take they're, they're taking everything he does and watching it under a microscope and watch waiting for him to screw up, you know, and waiting for him to do something that they could pounce on him for. You know, that's what yeah. it feels like. So I downshift in that I upshift in that rules are rules and you have to follow them. Right. And they've been there for as long as they've been there. But I also downshift in the sense that I do think that the FIA has been almost out to get Hamilton the past several weeks for reasons that are for a number of reasons. Uh, it know? don't make any sense. It, it, it could be, it could be for a number of reasons, but it definitely looks, especially with that statement that the FIA is in a way out to get Lewis Hamilton. I know that they're not, they're going to say that they're not, it, you know, it's a conspiracy theory to say that they're, they are, but the way that they went about this state, this, this statement makes it seem like they're out to get him. And if Hamilton it, raising those those suggestions that they might be, I expect him to. I expect I would just I would say if they would just say kept it to keep it to the grid before the start of the race, um, during the opening ceremonies, and then when your interviews are done or when you're when you're doing your interviews in the pool, I think they, they would have been a little bit better. Let's keep the ceremony cut and clean and, and, and then remind and say, hey, look, it's, it's, I'm pointing to the rule right here. You know, Here's the rule. It's, it's not like this is a new rule. Like if the FIA had just made this a new rule, oh. 
Like I would, I would be more concerning. But this is a rule that's bed on the FIA rulebook. You people should be aware of it. You know, it's some, it's one of those things that you might not know consciously, but it's there in the back of your mind. Yeah. If you're in the Formula One, like I knew this rule, I knew that this was a rule, and I'm not even a race driver. I've not even read the sporting code of the FIA, but I knew that this was a rule. Well, I have read some of the sporting code of the FIA. It's actually on the web, on, online. You could just read it. Anybody can read it. Um, anyway, uh, the n- last upshift, downshift here before we go into Rollers featured racetrack, uh, kind of shifting, on, staying with the kind of like the activism slash kind of thing. Adam Stern reporting that Kyle Larson and Chevrolet executive Jim Campbell were at a meeting with the Urban Youth Racing School together. Do you upshift or downshift that the chances have increased for Larson's to be Jimmy Johnson's replacement at Hendrick Motorsports? Yeah, I upshift. Really? I, okay. I do. I mean, the, the, uh, still, I think a lot of things have to come to alignment. I do think that it's still possible, even if this Larson were to replace Jimmy Johnson, the ally could go to Bowman, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, and be his sponsor and then have to find sponsorship for Larson. But yeah, I upshift. I think it it's interesting. To me, the reason I like I, I point this out is because that's what Stern tweeted. He he tweeted Steve Phelps, Kyle Larson, and Jim Campbell. He didn't he 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 specifically pointed out those people, which to me is telling. Mm-hmm. And 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 we all know that Stern's got some great sources out there. So yeah, I think that the chances are increasing for Larson to make a return to the NASCAR Cup Series in 2021 and that return be with Hendrick Motorsports and the Chevrolet. I think um, we're probably going to see that. Uh, I'm going to upshift on it. I think it's probably more and more inevitable. If if Larson is doing everything that he's rumored to have been doing uh, to kind of make up for the mistake that he made earlier, you know, it's hard to call it a mistake because, you know, it's, it's hard to talk about what Larson did and said because it's it's so touchy and a lot of different people interpret it different ways. And as a white male, I feel like it's difficult for me to discuss it with, you know, maybe validi- as much validity as it, it should have. But uh, I think that, you know, if NASCAR and if all the powers that be are going to give Larson the blessing to come back, if Chevrolet is going to give him the blessing to come back, if people are going to say, okay, this is somebody who's paid his dues, this is somebody who recognized the error of his ways and has worked, which from what I have heard, Kyle Larson has done outstanding charity, has been working outsta- it's in outstanding charitable ways with like these, like these urban youth racing schools and, um, you know, a lot of, of, of minorities and things like that to try and say, okay, look, I screwed up. I want to learn from my mistake. I want to try and be a better person so that I can continue living life in, in a happy and positive way and continue to, um, continue to do my job the best that I can. I think that's fine. I think if people, if, if NASCAR and if the sponsors and if the teams are ready to forgive him, then I think it's, it's only a matter of time till the rest of the fans forgive him. Um, and, and he's back in a cup car. So I'm going to go ahead and upshift that. Do I think that it's going to go end to him being in Hendrick motorsports? I'm a, I'm, I'm more towards the, the neutral, the downshifting on that one. But, but as for Larson coming back, I'll upshift that much. Okay. So, okay. That will wrap up uh, the upshift downshift segment. So let's jump into Rollers featured racetrack. Josh, you have a 
Racetrack for us here this week. I haven't read anything about, but I'm curious to learn. So, Josh, go ahead and take it away. It says you've got about three and a half minutes. I, I'm going to say you have more than that. Go ahead <laughs> and uh, give us Rollers Featured Racetrack for uh, today, Monday, or it's Tuesday, September 29th. Well, I appreciate the extra time there, Rob. Uh, so we just wrapped up NASCAR's second trip out to the Nevada desert in Sin City. Didn't disappoint, as we already discussed. Uh, NASCAR's been going to Las Vegas Motor Speedway for nearly 25 years, first with the Gander RV and Outdoors Truck Series in 1996, then the Xfinity Series in 1997, and finally the Cup Series in 1998. You've probably thought that was NASCAR, the NASCAR Cup Series' first trek out to Vegas, right? You'd be wrong, my friend. I present to you the Las Vegas Park Speedway. In 1946, Joseph M. Smoot hitched a ride to Las Vegas with a lawyer friend of his, Hank Greenspan. Uh, the two separate when they arrived in the very small desert town uh, compared to the metropolis it is today. Greenspun would soon uh, uh, found the Las Vegas Sun after a uh, new fond- fondness for journalism. Uh, and then Smoot would put together investors for a new horse track. That's what he did. All right. Smoot would pull together 8,000 investors. Yes, you heard me right. 8,000 thousand investors who collectively handed smoot two million dollars that's a lot of money back in the day all right uh smoot told them that he had built racetracks before namely hialeah gulf stream in florida and santa anita park in california but what he left out was that he left or was fired from each of those tracks before they ever opened <laughs> now many of these eight thousand investors were not uh, you know very wealthy you know they they, they were just middle class people you know, handing over, you know, their hard, hard, hard earned money. They weren't, you know, whatever the rich casino people were back in the day then uh, <laughs> to a degree. So uh, eventually the missing $500,000 caught up with Smoot. And as these things usually do, uh, Smoot and his two associates were charged with f- felony embezzlement while two others were handed felony forgery charges. He couldn't produce any evidence where the money went. Uh, but Smoot was still able to survive an ouster by angry stockholders. How? I don't know. Uh, that was one night at the Elks Lodge. But Judge Roger Foley, Judge Roger Foley, uh, removed Smoot from the track and appointed a trustee to run it instead. The new operators finished building the facility, and even Calumet Farm uh, shipped in horses for the facility. Hmm. Um, the Clubhouse and Grandstand were painted pink to emulate the Hippodromo Rosado in Argentina. Now almost uh, $1.9 million, the richest prize amount ever offered by a first-year track, would be awarded in a 67-day meet. Now when the park opened, there were many issues, though, that led to the inevitable poor attendance. When betting machines for $50 and $500 bets, again, a lot of money for back, back in the day, uh, when they didn't work, the high rollers were were forced to bet small wages after waiting in long lines. They aren't coming back when they have to do that. They, they want to bet big. They want to bet big quickly and fast and, and not have to wait in lines with people who are placing $50, $2, dollars $3 bets, right? Um, the Australian-made machines had to eventually be replaced by American-made ones. The original 67-day meet was shortened when the venture was canceled again due to poor attendance. This had bad, you know, bad issues. You, you got to make money from the for the bets, right? Yeah. You know? And the money isn't coming in. 
Then in 1954, a 48-week meet was scheduled, but poor attendance once again led to the cancellation of the events. Greenspun wrote in his autobiography that Smoot knew that the track wouldn't have much of a chance to, to succeed. And he told him as much when they arrived there in 1946, which to me is crazy. This is just the Smoot scheme. That's what I'm going to dub it here. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds a bit uh, shady. Which to me, when I think about it, maybe this track was about a decade too soon for Vegas. You know, when it came to the high rollers, and then if you have everything going badly like that, it 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 just you, you, your population pool is too low. So the facility turned to auto racing for a chance at survival. First came the drivers of the AAA Champ Car Series in what was uh, their 1953 season finale on November 14th, uh, 50. Uh, 54, excuse me. Uh, in the 13th and final race, Jimmy Bryan led flag to flag in what was his 11th start of that season and ultimately his fifth win en route to his first of three national championships. Second place finisher of Manny Aiello finish, uh, w- w- was second and was only uh, and was the only other driver to finish all 100 laps of that race. Um, many drivers would either didn't qualify or withdrew 14 of them total, including uh 1950 Indianapolis 500 winner, Johnny Parsons, which hmm. when I look back at these statistics, I never see that many drivers who didn't qualify or withdrew. So this obviously was somewhat of a big race for them. Obviously it was our season finale, but Las Vegas too, I'm sure had to draw some sort of a, a lure for them. Uh, they never came back. It was the only race for them. Uh, for the Triple H Champ Car Series out there. Next came NASCAR in 1955 in a Grand National and Pacific Coast late model division combination race. The PCLMD eventually became the Winston West and is now the Arkham Menard Series West, just for those of you who are listening who don't know that. Uh, the race was held on Sunday, October 16th, 1955, the same day as the fall race at Martinsville Speedway for the Grand National Division. So there were two races on one day for what is now the Cup Series. Uh, okay. This isn't, this isn't a one-time thing. This happened actually a few times when you have a West coast race. There'd also sometimes be a, an East coast race on the same day. So it hmm. is a little weird. But yes, I guess you could do more before like TV deals, obviously. Yeah. And you had, you know, this, this season had like 40 some races in it too. Oh so, yeah, of course. You, know, you don't have to technically race in every single race to win the championship. Um, now that race at Martinsville was by the way, won by Speedy Thompson. The scheduled 200-lap race, though, was shortened to 111 laps due to darkness. Norm Nelson lapped the field in a Carl Keycaver-owned Chrysler. Bill Hyde and Bill West finished second and third, respectively. And another Bill, Bill Stammer, finished eighth. So if your name was Bill, you had a pretty good day going there. Um, The race was Nelson's second career cup start. Uh, The first coming at Memphis, Arkansas a few weeks prior, a track we talked about last year. Uh, Nelson would make only... Three more Grand National starts, all at Riverside uh, in California, with the last coming in 1968. So he has a 20% winning percentage in NASCAR. That's not hmm. bad. That is Five not bad at all. No. Um, Nelson, uh, that race is also Nelson's only ARCA West start, so he's got 100% winning percentage in that series. Now, he kind of, again, asterisk beside it, one start, one win, but still 100% winning percentage. Not, now, not hold sure. on. I like to say Casey Kane's winning percentage in the truck series was uh, still just as, you know. That's right. What is that? Five, uh, four wins out of five starts? 
Yes, that's pretty damn good. Eight percent. That's pretty darn good. That is really good. Um, these uh, the the second place for Hyde and the third by West were their best career national finishes as well. Albeit they all they both started less than ten cup races in their total career, but still second and third is your best starts, and less than ten races is still pretty good. Now the record books show that the final race at Las Vegas Park Speedway was in 1959, the Las Vegas Grand Prix. Uh, on November 29th that year, a combination race between USAC Stock Car Series and Mark Racing Series. Mark was uh, ARCA. That's ARCA now. Uh, the race was originally scheduled for 250 laps, but like NASCAR four years earlier, the race was called at 147 laps due to darkness. So they couldn't learn their lesson very well, obviously. And start the race earlier? I that guess. I <laughs> and by the way, the facility was millions of dollars. You think you could have installed lights? <laughs> at least floodlights right you know right right now so, sources say 35 cars started the race but i can only find where anyone would post the 16 finishers of that race fred lorenzen was declared the winner now so when you look at the three races that have been held here okay jimmy Bryan, fred lorenzen uh good old norm nelson must feel pretty good about that company yeah you, you can win win at a race at the same track those two guys went on that's pretty good company so the short and crazy history of Las Vegas Park Speedway ended with Lorenzen's victory celebration. The track said empty for more than five years until between 1965 and 1966. Demolition occurred to make way for the Las Vegas Country Club, Las Vegas Convention Center, and the Las Vegas Hilton, now known as the Westgate Las Vegas, and housing surrounding the golf course. Historic aerials has some really good aerials of the, of the track, like really clear images. It's really, really, really cool um, see them that old uh, be that clear. Um, and you can go through and see not only how the track changed a little bit and what was there before the track, uh, but then also how the land around it developed and see Las Vegas grow and expand and redevelop itself. So it's pretty cool there. Uh, so the Las Vegas Sun, NASCAR.com, Racing Reference, and Ultimate Racing History helped with today's little uh, roller feature racetrack. Okay, right on. Now now I've got to get like uh, here. I, I, I always, uh, I can't not go on to historical aerials every time you mention it. So now I'm going to have to make sure that I close out of this tab so that I don't start looking it up. Uh, thank you again, Josh, for that uh, history lesson. We appreciate it every time. I love listening. I love learning about it. And I'm going to probably end up researching this track later on tonight. Uh, that's it for this episode of Robin Roller. Let's take a look at what is in the windshield for next week. These are all the week races that we've got coming in our windshield this weekend uh formula one is off this weekend but returns october 11th at the nurburgring at the eiffel grand prix uh indycar will make its third trip to the famous yard of bricks uh for the harvest grand prix doubleheader at indianapolis on friday october 2nd and saturday october 3rd uh after those two races only st petersburg will remain on october 25th uh oh by the way the indianapolis eight hour is also this weekend as true. well about uh, that. do not forget about that so if you are wanting to watch a good old-fashioned eight hour endurance race over the indianapolis road course uh i believe you can do that this weekend i think i i want to say it'll be on motorsport tv but i doubt that for some reason i doubt that i'll have to double check we'll have to double check and see what what uh, broadcast information that'll be on uh because they do they're allowing fans for this race uh i don't know if i'm i might go to the eight hour if i if i have the opportunity to we'll see um anyway on saturday it is the penultimate 
race of the 2020 Arkham Menard series season as the series goes to the Illinois State Fairgrounds, uh, one mile dirt oval for the annual Allen Crow 100. Always a great, great race for that one. That's that'll be interesting. Then on, uh, then it is also a triple header at Talladega Super Speedway. The first time I think we've ever had a triple header at Talladega. That has never happened in the history of this of NASCAR at the big Super Speedway. So on Saturday, NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoors Truck Series will race the Chevy Silver Silverado 250, and that is the cutoff race for the round of 10, like we talked earlier. So two drivers will be eliminated from championship contention following that race. Then also on Saturday in the afternoon, for the first time, the NASCAR Xfinity Series will travel to Talladega for the second time of the season for the AG Pro 300. And on Sunday, the NASCAR Cup Series races the Yellowwood 500. That's a that's a new name, I guess. Better than the 1000bulbs.com 500, I guess. Uh, but still does not as good as the Die Hard 500. Uh, and with the points very tight. Yellow wood. I think it's the yellow, yellow wood. Yellow wood? Yeah, it's yellow. That's not, that's, yellow. Not a, that's not a spelling error. It's yellow wood. Well, if I accidentally say yellow wood, is it wrong? I guess. I guess it is. All right. Yeah. Uh, so we got the points are very tight for fourth in the standings on back, and a big one could jumble up the points in a big way before the Charlotte Roval the following week. So that is, those are all things to keep uh, watch after. Of course, there'll be some feeder series races that I'll probably talk about. Keep. I haven't looked up which races are this week, but I do believe the Formula Regional European Championship is in action this week. So we can you can watch that. Actually, if you ever if you have a Facebook account or uh, if you have a Facebook account. Uh, you can actually go on to the Formula Regional European Championship, and actually you can uh, sign up to get reminders for when they go live because they do broadcast it on Facebook Live. So if you have a Facebook account, you can go ahead and get a reminder that way, or you can uh, set a reminder for yourself and watch them at your leisure, usually on Motorsport TV. And it's a free uh, thing. You can watch motorsport.tv. And that's usually how I watch all of those. Uh, I, I miss when it was a linear channel, but I do like the fact that uh, they broadcast a whole ton of races that I do enjoy watching. So that is all for us this week on Rob and Roller. Thank you so much for joining us and listening with us uh, this week. Uh, we're so thankful for you, all of your support. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. We do appreciate all of your support. Don't forget if you have any questions, any comments, you want to play along with the show, go ahead and use that hashtag, Robin Roller. I have it up on my tweet deck. So anytime someone uses that hashtag, I immediately know and we can uh, always interact. And uh, maybe your uh, tweets, your predictions, any of that can be read on the show. So if you're looking for some, you know, minor, small name fame, we're, we're the place to get it going. We're the place to get your fame rolling. So uh, thank you, everybody, for Josh Roller. My name is Rob Peters, and this has been the Racing with Rob and Roller podcast. Enjoy your week, and uh, my birthday is uh, next week on Monday. So have a good one, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.